Hello and welcome to Let Me Introduce You, the food business podcast where I introduce you to the most amazing producers, entrepreneurs and consultants who work with me to help me build stronger, healthier, better versions of food businesses. I've been building teams to work with food businesses for over 25 years now. We're taking you behind the scenes in my business to meet some of them. So let me introduce you to Martin Murray, who along with his wife Claire, started and established Dunnett Bay Distillers, the home of Rock Rose Gin and Holy Grass Vodka. Martin and I were introduced via a mutual connection on LinkedIn and it just so happened I'd been looking for a distillery to partner with a client of mine on a project. Often when I'm looking for project partners, it's as much about your gut instinct as it is about their credentials on paper or their track record, though that all helps. I had a sense that Martin's ways of doing business would be a great match for my client. And I think when you hear this, you will see how their business is so much more than a distillery. Soon too, I hope I'm going to be able to share the results of the collaboration with you. So um, the first thing I'm going to ask you is, how would you describe your current job to other people? What do you tell folk you do? (laughs) Gosh, that's a difficult question. Um, I think uh, it's changed over the years. You know, I was... um, the team with Claire where we were doing everything and then it's kind of evolved now that really I'm trying to get the best out of others so that they do the work that we used to do so very much kind of leading the direction of the business and the kind of looking at the growth opportunities and um, export markets but very much shaping the future of the business the best that's the way to describe it on a day-to-day basis at the moment I'm looking at for example, new export markets, contacting sort of agents in each territory. And then at the same time, we're planning our expansion on to a new land. So looking at plans, drawing up concepts and um, doing that. So very much kind of uh, looking at where we can grow our business in the short term, but also looking at then how that fits with the long term picture. So, yeah, I kind of do that. That's my, my job these days. Looking into the future. And then, and then doing some mail order for a fortnight while everybody else has a holiday. Yeah, that's right. And kind of like um, making sure that uh, any gaps um, are filled. So right now with homeschooling and with uh, lockdown, we're slightly under-resourced because of the space we have here and because we had staff that were homeschooling. So I was very much filling in for different gaps as well. So, yeah, it's it's been an unusual year. It's quite good though, isn't it, to go back into it again and 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 do some of those jobs again and maybe you see things differently too when you when you get back in among them. Yeah, it it's good for two th- two things. I think you get back in amongst it and you're able to kind of then think about things again from that side. But the other thing is you're you're working in alongside the staff and it's more not casual, but you're able to have more relaxed conversations and pick the reins about things and um, have a bit of kind of light-hearted uh, conversations as well, which you don't often do because quite often when you're meeting with them, it's either a limited time or it's to have a discussion about something. So you just do that, but you get the chat and the... Yeah, yeah. and it maintains that bond and link so that you, ha- they feel norm- that they're part of a bigger normal team. normal time, do you all get together as a staff to eat lunch or do anything or 
Yeah, we we always have tea breaks. So yeah. that's one thing we we've we've stuck with is that the the tea break side of things we maintain it as a group, even though we have to have a, a bit more spaced out, and that's important to us because it, it just allows us to keep in touch with staff, just have a bit more kind of light hearted kind of banter, um, but then also just to be together. You know, it, it especially over the last year, it, it feels like the business is a bit more fragmented and. Yep. No, that that makes sense. I know. Well, I mean, and it, I think too, probably for some of them, coming to work was the only other contact they were having too. So then it becomes all the more important, doesn't it? Yeah, especially if you think about our location, we're very rural, and most of our staff live in um, rural settlements, and they don't have that kind of. They don't have a neighbour. Their neighbor, nearest neighbour no. might be half a kilometre away, so they don't have that day to day interaction and. Yeah, you kind of feel that your your day consists of um, really just being in the same house when you're working from home. So yep. having that opportunity to uh, communicate with the team is is nice because it just breaks your day and it gives you something different to talk about and different people to talk with. Yep, good. Now, my next part of the how would you describe your job question is how do other people describe your job? Because I suspect everybody else just thinks you're having a party all the time. Uh, Yeah, I think before COVID, I was off doing a lot of the international uh, trips. So I think they would have called me a bit of a gallivant or going off around the world having great fun while they kind of kept the ship steady and kept the business running. So I think they would have seen it that way, that I was very much kind of... Uh, the face of the business and the the person who went out and did all the kind of travel and relationships. I think that's the way I would see it. But also, I think they've got other kind of jobs that I fulfil. So being a small business, we don't really have IT support and I kind of fell into that. So I am the IT support as well as all of the other things. I can remember one day when I had just set up my business, something went wrong with the computer, I don't even remember now what, and I pushed my chair back to go and get the IT person and then realised I was the IT person. (laughs) It was like a real sinking feeling of, oh, I have no idea what I'm going to do about this. You take take it so much for granted. So um, in my old job, if you had a problem, you had the first people there that could fix it. Now in this role, it's you, you, you've got to fix it. You've got to go and Google it and find it. Thank goodness for Google, so eh? In this last year, all the tech that you're able to access is so useful here. Mm. So we've really benefited. Um, we, we got a new machine last February and it's connected back to Belgium to the people who built it. And they've been able to help configure it with me and troubleshoot it with me from Belgium. And, you know, it, it seemed like a good idea in normal times because of our location. But during lockdown, it just was worth its weight in gold because... Um, we could kind of arrange a WhatsApp call. They could be on the machine. I could film things for them. And, you know, you you can send videos, pictures, and it, it just makes it so much easier. And you can't imagine how they did it 50 years ago. You just think, know, how, how know, did they I mean, do that? Because you'd have written on a piece of paper and posted your letter to take the fortnight to get there. Do you know I mean? Yeah. It's, and you might have had to go to the library to get so a book. I don't, I don't know how this would have been to come through. You know, without Zoom and... And things like that. I bought my mum uh, an Amazon Alexa screen 
And you, when we first got it last, I don't know, March or April, try to get that set up 500 miles apart, do you know? But <clears throat> it was really, I'm so grateful that we have had it because I feel like I sit down with her twice a day and yeah. have a good chat with her and I can see her facial expressions, which are sometimes not that good because I've said something and I can see her <laughs> making a face at me. But, uh, but it does just give you that connection. But, I mean, it's been great to be able to do Zoom stuff and... I've been um, I've been meeting small independent cheese makers uh, once a month yeah. on a Friday evening. They send us two bits of cheese and from the same maker uh, of two different ages, right. and then they come on and talk about it and stuff. And that's been brilliant. And and it's just it's nice because it's the last Friday of the month, kind of marks the end of your month as well. Because I think yeah, that's right. We haven't had sort of beginnings and ends of things either. So that's right. You, you quite often do things at the end of the month because. I mean, you know, it goes back to when you get your first job, it's kind of payday and you do yep. things on payday because you've got the money to do it. And I think that kind of just sticks with you at life that when you get to the end of the month, there's that kind of symbolic, it's payday, we do something nice, we treat ourselves. and That's right, yeah. to do to do something different, that's it. I know, mm-hmm. I know, that's it. So tell us about Done It Be and when the idea came to you and then when you decided you were definitely going for it. It's kind of, um, it started uh, years ago before our son was born, when we were still at university actually, so I wanted to do brewing and distilling uh, when I was at university, so uh, at the end of my third year I got to choose my um, speciality or where I wanted to do my master's, so I wanted to do it in brewing and distilling, um, went to the careers fair for brewing and distilling and there was no jobs, lots of free booze but no jobs. And then I went to one of the oil and gas ones, and there was so many jobs for chemical engineers. So lumbered with the student debt, I kind of went with the head and not with the heart and mm. went into oil and gas. So, but that was when the seed was planted at that point. And then I guess I went into oil and gas, went offshore, travelled with my, my firm to uh, France and West Africa. And I guess it got to a point that I didn't really want to do that anymore. I had young kids and um, we always had a yearning to come back to Keithness, but... The challenge with Keithness is that it's a fragile rural economy and most young people leave and don't come back. So we were we were those people. We, we left and we weren't kind of really sure how we could come back. But we did. We kind of started to plan. And, you know, there was there's some events in, in your life that kind of push you along a bit. So the platform I was on, Elgin Franklin, just after my last trip it had the UK's biggest ever gas leak and it was a really dangerous event and I kind of remember thinking I I could have been there and I didn't really want to ever put myself in that position again. There was also helicopters um, were having problems and there'd been people who lost their life in the North Sea and that that was really kind of one of those moments where you, you sit there and the job sort of loses its appeal slightly and you know I started to think you know I need to do something about this a, a longer time I don't see my future being offshore, but if I'm onshore, then I can't live in Keithness. So no. um, it was those moments that then kind of pushed us along. And we, we kind of, we, we built the distillery at home really to create two jobs, one for me and one for my wife, Claire. And we're quite relaxed people. We just thought, we'll give it a go. We didn't put any pressure on ourselves. We kind of thought, you know, if we can get it to work and pay the bills, then that would be great. But we didn't have any experience from in the drinks business we didn't have any contacts or network um we pretty much had everything going against us 
were your families people that had been entrepreneurial or or not? No, not at all. And that's difficult too, isn't it? Because I think it's a frightening thing for them, especially when both of you decide to do something independently. It's like, oh. I think we didn't see it that way. I think, you know, it's one of those things that now if it was our children, I would definitely be like, are you sure? Do you want to spend money on that? You know, you could save that or invest. You know, there's all these things. But to us at the time, it just felt totally normal. We're going to build a small distillery and we're going to give it a go. And, you know, like, you could have gone down that route saying, what if it doesn't work out? What's your plan B? Well, but we didn't ever think about that. We just kind of thought, we'll, we'll give it a try and we'll find a way to make it work. And I guess that's always been our mentality with anything we've done in the business is that, okay, it might not work, but we'll find a way to make it work or we'll find a different way of doing it. And it's a good way to be too, isn't it? Solutions based, not problem based. You're just... Yeah, you, we'll just, you just and you don't. I I come up with these silly things where I say like you know we're putting men on Mars. Surely we can put labels on balls. You know that kind of thing where <laughs> it's not impossible. It's totally not impossible that the label working. It might be hard. There might be problems, but we're pretty resourceful and we can do it. So when we built the distillery here, um, when was that? Gosh, it was two thousand and thirteen. We put planning permission in. Uh, 2014 we started to do the work and we launched in August 2014 and the plan was uh, for me to continue to work in oil and gas for three years offshore but to to work towards an exit so the plan being either build up some sales or build up some savings and get out of oil and gas within three years but it went way better than what we expected our first batch sold in uh, 40 hours second batch in (laughs) under 24 hours that would do it. <laughs> yeah, we sold a year's worth of production in about 12, 14 weeks and then run up to Christmas. But and we how were quite... had that happened? I mean, who knew about it? How had you got word out? So in the run up to Christmas 2013, we got a bottle image and Claire put out Christmas cards to some of the accounts that we wanted to see our uh, bottles in. And it was handwritten. and So like local like Skibo and places like that or not even? Scotland. Uh, I think it was all Scotland, or maybe yeah. a couple of places in um, England, and we got lucky with one of them where the head bartender at the Sheraton um, was interviewed in January 2014, and he said that the most exciting product that he was looking forward to that year was Rock Rose Gin from the north of Scotland, oh, and that was in a US publication. Oh, brilliant! But because we had such a a strong bottle design, Clear had sort of around about seven months, just talking about it online and showing the bottle image. And nobody had tasted it, and no. we hadn't even made it. <laughs> so we were talking about a really beautiful bottle, and it was great because we were building up a lot of people subscribing, a lot of following us on Facebook, Twitter, social accounts. So it built up a bit of a hype, and yep. it's really exciting when you're in the hype. But what we hadn't thought about was the counter side of it, which was, if our product's rubbish... All these people are going to tell everyone else, and it's going to be like a really bad moment in life. Just as well, you didn't think about that then. It went really well. So when we put it out, we were literally pressing F nine on the computer the whole time. Anytime you're on the laptop, you're refreshing your Facebook yeah. feed to see if anyone had left a review or comment, uh, positive or negative, and they all came in positive. And we've seen repeat orders, and it was really like, wow, this is quite good. And but we told ourselves that. We're new, we're exciting, it'll fade. And then when it kept going, we said, well, we're getting towards Christmas and people will be using us for guests. But after Christmas, it'll be no longer Christmas. We're no longer exciting, we'll fade. Um, And it didn't. And we just Mm. kept 
growing and growing and then we sent our first pallet to Germany and we had not a clue what we were doing with export but we learned quite quickly. We So a kind of interesting story where the German importer contacted us and I said no and he replied and said I want to know why you said no and again I was open with him I said you know what we're kind of new to all of this and we don't know how to do export we can't take the financial risk and we know nothing about you and we, we don't even know how to to go about these things so the guy replied and said we're a family German business doing premium spirits and we're just like you but we're further along in our journey so how about we pay for the goods we pick them up we do the paperwork and we teach you how to export and of course I couldn't say no then because it like and it you, you know it's one of those kind of key moments in our business where if we'd got a bad partner at that point it could have you really might, you might have thought you'd never export again. Or you might just have said yeah, no right. and, and it might not have happened for two years. Or... Yeah. How lovely. So, so, they, so they were they were lovely. And and are they still a key exporter for you? Yeah, yeah still their longest partner. And they, we're just doing an order for them just now, funnily enough. Yeah. Um, and they were great. They were really nice. You know, even, I'm trying to think, it was one year we weren't able to have a family holiday. And I was just in conversation with them. And they said, well, We've actually got a, a family, a, a company villa down in the south of France. If you want to hire it, then there's a week in October. And I just thought this was amazing. I just thought it was so great. So we went and did it. And they did, what they didn't tell us was that their villa was next door to one of their suppliers where they get their wine from in France. So we were next to a vineyard and we, it was just a brilliant week. And um, it was, you know, it was that way. The, the relationship was that way from the start. And it still is where they know that we really value it. Isn't that lovely, though? They're the kind of relationships you want, aren't they? Yep. Because then he'll never let you down, you'll never let him down. You know, you would both pull so much. And they're very remote, and I went, I took the time to go and visit them um, in Germany, and they were delighted. Literally, the train station is smaller than our train station, that's how small it is. That says something. (laughs) So I got got there, got out, and they were just delighted they showed me around, and it was just like one of those kind of... They're very similar to our business and it's nice when you get that feeling. And then what that does is you think, well, okay, that's our standard. That's what we want our relationship to be like with other suppliers. And if we don't get that, if we don't feel that they've got the same alignment and values in how they run their business, then they're probably not right for us. And we just walk away because if not, it just leads to problems or difficulties and, you know, it's, it's, yeah, it's it's one of those kind of lessons that we we learned fairly early on, and we've been really lucky. We've managed to find um, great distributors in Italy and Switzerland that are exactly the same. It does make a huge difference, doesn't it? Especially yeah. when when it's outside of your own country, you need mm-hmm. to have that kind of trust with people and understand, and also for them to be able to tell you. Because I mean, a lot of my work, as you know, is helping people bring stuff into the UK and explaining yeah. to them what's different about the UK, what's different about Scotland from England, Wales from England, Northern Ireland, what people like you to refer to them all as even, do you know? And uh, a lot of people say Ireland, and I'm always saying you need to say Ireland for that bit, but for that bit you need to say Northern Ireland, you know, because it matters to people. But you need that and you need that in other markets as well. You need folk that can explain it to you. And I know before COVID, when I was working in Tunisia all the time, I had two great, because I was doing a government project, but I had two customers, two of the businesses that I was helping, who went out of their way and they would say to me, 
where are you staying? That's not a nice hotel. You were better to stay here. And and then yeah. at night they would take me places and they used to joke that they would only take me one nice place every visit so I had to keep coming <laughs> back. But, you know, it does, it makes such a, and especially if you're away a lot and things, you know, it makes mm-hmm. such a difference. And I really would go all out to help them going forward, as I would have anyway, but it just really makes you want to see them be successful because they had put themselves out to help you. Yeah, it, it, we really care about their businesses now and, when I'm out there, I will always make a commitment to come out and try and support them and spend time with their sales team. And they like that. They know that we're, we're doing it um, because we want to see them succeed. And we know that that's good for us as well if that happens. That's great. Oh, that's brilliant. What a journey. I mean, that's amazing, isn't it? I mean, that's yeah, like eight years. It, and, and it blows our mind. It just really does. You know, when we think about what we aimed the business to do early doors, you know, so success for us in year one would have been selling gin in Edinburgh, you know, like that would have been amazing that someone outside of our local area bought a bottle that, that's it, but then we had Harvey Nichols phoning up and buying from us, we had Fortnum Mason buying Rock Rose and you sit there and you think how does that happen, you know, you watch Dragon's Den and you see them going into doing a sales pitch and they get torn to shreds and that was my ultimate nightmare because I'm an engineer, I'm not Designed to go into do sales pitches, I so but, I was always worried about that. But it's a super, it's a great product in an interesting bottle. So the two together, you know, definitely helped. But I know I got my first bottle of it came from Fort Rooms after I'd been connected <laughs> to you on LinkedIn, and I went looking for it, and I was like, "Wow, it's in Fort Rooms! It's amazing!" So um, it is. It's um, it's incredible. But that, uh, it's such a great. Thing. I, I know often when I'm talking to folk about what do you want to do in five years time and folk can't get five years ahead and I always say go five years back and then look yeah. at how much you've done and then that gives you an idea of because I mean when you look back five years is a long time you will have done a lot a lot will have changed so then it gives you an idea of the scope of what might happen five years on but for you guys you've had you aren't even at your tenth birthday yet, and you're no, no, yeah, and it, it's it's funny because it's everything's incremental here, and it's only when you know, for my brother comes up from London, and he's maybe not been up for two or three years, and he sees the change, and he's like, "Whoa, it's, what a big change!" And he talks about all the stuff we've done, and it's only when someone tells you what you've done that you realise it, you know. Yes. Because until then, you just get your head down doing it. I I also yeah. always say entrepreneurs have always got a list of what they haven't done yet. But yeah, we're not very yeah. good. <laughs> years and years ago, I was on a course with other people that ran their own businesses. We all got together and employed a guy to do some work with us on leadership. And so there were 20 of us, I think. And one guy said, I want to be better at taking time to appreciate what I've done. And everyone in the room went, yeah, because nobody does. Everyone's yeah. always like, I've got no, this huge to do list. I've got a big list of stuff in my book. I haven't got that done. I need to get this done. I think it it's, is. It's, quite it's hard. what drives us all, but it's a bad thing because you don't always look around you. And... Yeah, that's right. I, I get that. During lockdown, I find it as well. Like we were busy here, and um, I'd get to Friday night and think I've done nothing. In fact, my list is longer than it was, and that's what like I'd go into the weekend like. But now I'm realizing I said anything. What have I done this week? And I'll r- write a list of that, and then I think actually I've done more than I thought. I I because use you don't a journal and I have to see at the beginning of the month what, what the big thing is that if I get that done by the end of the month it will make a big difference to me and then 
I break that down every day. I've got to do something towards that one thing. And that's quite mm-hmm. good. And then I can look back and my to-do list is in the journal as well. And it's a double, not quite A4 page, but a big page for each day. But the, And it's pre-printed, but the to-do list is only that size and it kills me. <laughs> and I try and write things three on a line. But she, mm-hmm. the girl that created it, says... The to-do list is only that size because it is only one day. <laughs> yeah, I'm always true, like trying to ram stuff into it and things. It's mad. It is. It just doesn't work. In terms of, because one of the things I love that you see in all the videos of Rot Rose that you watch is how much the community around Dunnet Bay has latched on to you, feels very proud of you, feels you're part of, feels you've worked with them and they've worked with you and things. I mean, you were obviously relatively local to the area when you came, when you went away and then came back. Do you think that has helped? Do you think they would have been as, they would have adopted you as much if you hadn't initially come from the area do you you think because you have they've got more sort of passion towards it I I don't know I think it would have taken longer that would probably be my answer that would have taken longer to get people behind you because it gave us a head start because obviously we're both schooled here primary and secondary school Um, I was active in sports teams Claire had uh, other interests and you know we had that network yeah you had a network already of folk that knew you yeah and um, our family so like uh, long established here so people knew our uncles our aunties our granddads you know that kind of way so you had across different generations you had people who were kind of back in your yep. back in your business um, and I touched on earlier that a lot of young people move away so mm-hmm. what was quite interesting was that friends who had moved away to work were buying their bottles and then telling their friends in London telling their friends in Edinburgh Glasgow so we effectively had a brand ambassador network set up from day one and it definitely helped so if you weren't from the area I guess it would take you a while to get the local backing but you would have your own local backing where you were from so it's probably six and two or threes but the good thing is you know we're definitely I think respected in the local community because we've gone out we've created jobs we've given young people their first jobs we've taken on work experience um, we supported local charities and then even... Um, You've been respectful to of the local area and landscape and things. You haven't really imposed yeah. anything on anybody, so... No, that's right. And, you know, it, it's really important for me that I feel that because I, I want to go out... It's, it's a very small-knit community, so I, when I go out for food or go out for drink with my friends, I want people to think, you know, they're, they're, doing, they're doing good. They're, they're, yeah, yeah. They're, they don't have that... <laughs> Any sort of ill sentiment. Bad feeling about you. No, it's too small a place, isn't it? So last year when lockdown kicked in, when we first thing we did was we created sanitizer for the local medical practices, and we lost about I think it was eight pound a bottle on duty at that point because the government was slow to catch up with the duty side of things. So we were giving it away, making an eight pound loss on a bottle, but. Um, in my mind at that point was, you know, these are the guys who've bought bottles for five years, so yeah. we should, we can and we should, so we did. And then another idea that then came about was we had... I never our, thought about you having to pay duty on hand sanitizer. Yeah, that was for the early, until they fixed it and then it was fine, It was there was no duty and it, it was fine. But then the other thing we did was, we knew that we were in a... Um, the village around us, there was quite a lot of vulnerable people that... Um, 
relied on going to the shops for their daily mm-hmm. um, items and bread and milk and things like that. So we turned our, our gin shop into a small grocery store and we did home deliveries for vulnerable people free of charge and we didn't make any money on the produce. We took the produce in and we sold it for costs. We didn't want to be seen to be profiteering during no. a pandemic. But at the same time, I wanted to make sure that we did something. So yep. we did that. We took in all these things that would allow people to get you know, pasta, vegetables, uh, bread, these kind of things, staples that they could get. And we did a doorstep drop-off each night. And uh, it was great. You know, it was a, a good response um, from our team. And it was one of those things that, you know, we just did it because, again, we could and we felt we should. So we did. We didn't overcomplicate it anyway. You know, we can kind of go down the and overcomplicate these things, but we kind of made very quick, simple decisions based on we know that there was a need and we know that we could, so we did. That's brilliant, isn't it? I know, and I mean, that's it. It does, I mean, it comes across from the videos and things that we you see people talking about it, how much they feel part of of what you've done and, and how proud they are of it. And I think that's lovely, isn't it? In terms of... Because obviously you were in oil and gas and then you came into distilling, um, which is quite different. Um, But who do you look at and say, I like how they've done things? You know, have there been people that you've met, even in the oil and gas side, who who had good ways of building teams and things? and, And you think, I want to do it like that. Or where you've had bad experiences and you think, I know I don't want to do it like that. Who have you learned that from, do you think? I think I've learned a lot from different people along the way. You know, there's different influences. I know that when I was offshore, there was a production supervisor called Steve Clark, who was very integrated with his team and everybody worked for him. Like, you know, you kind of go the extra mile from him. And I always liked that because I always felt that he created a really good rapport with the team, but the team did good work from and I, I remember that time and it was always with a smile on your face and I like that I like thinking that you know you, you come to work work hard for someone and it would still be enjoyable you know that yeah, kind of still have come fun. to work with a smile and go home with a smile yeah so he's a big influence and then you know when it comes to like decency I think my father knows probably one of the people who shapes how you do things so he probably is the most entrepreneurial out of all of our families where he left an American naval base up here and set up his own firm as a builder contractor and he was from an electrical background but he then turned his hand to joinery and things but what he did was he always would charge a lot less for vulnerable people and he would do things for them he'd go the extra mile and I always liked the fact that he would kind of not pick and choose jobs he would try and help people and even though some of them wouldn't necessarily be pretty well paid jobs he knew that these people couldn't afford the work and it was essential or they needed the work and he would do it and he just had a real uh, grounded sense of decency. And that's the great thing about running your own businesses, you can do those kind of things so it's nice to to do it because a lot of folk wouldn't necessarily think about it but it's a lovely way to be isn't it that you can yeah you can use your business to benefit other people. Yeah and that's what we've tried to do here so we, we've done things where we've collaborated with other local producers to create gin chocolates, gin marmalade, these kind of things, mm. and try to use our success to benefit other businesses and other small producers so that they can then step on. And we did that even on our very first bottle. We bought 
chocolates from the local chocolatier and we put a free chocolate in with every bottle with her a card about her in it and that really helped her she got sales out the back of that it lovely. we've we've always been that way and then when we so our, our business is very seasonal here when it comes to like the visitor shop and uh, tours and tastings so we converted our sort of tasting room experience into an art gallery so what we were conscious of was that when the tourists go away, we could do what a lot of other businesses are doing, that shut up shop until the tourists come back. Or we could make it interesting for local people and give something back to other local creatives. So we converted it into a Inspired by Gin exhibition. We allowed the artists to do master classes, these kind of things, and um, all free of charge. So what that did was it encouraged locals to come out because you know, you come to a distillery, you do the distillery tour, then, you know, when do you go back? You don't really go back, you've you've been no. there, you've kind of done it. But having this, you know, you've got a reason to come out and they're then able to support local artists. We did collaborations with the artists for an artist edition range of gins called the Creative Collection to, again, promote the artists and also help our business. You know, it, people are really interested in getting these collectible editions. And I, I like that. I like the fact that, you know, Somewhere along the line, someone say, you really helped us by doing this and or, you, you know, your support. And I'm keen to do that. I'm always helping other distilleries where I'm quite constrained with time. But if I see another distillery that has a headache with tax or setting up, then I kind of think, you know, if I can help them, why, why you wouldn't I? you know, point them towards something, that's it, yeah. isn't it? Just... Quite, quite often it is just a point into a direction or just to say, no, you don't have to worry about that. You can part that till you start up so i like to try and do that i kind of very much see that it's the wee guys against the big guys and if the wee guys need help then i'm all for it yeah. um where i can um but it's, it's difficult you know with with time and things but yeah that's our mentality here is that we are very very much a community business and what we do and how we've acted and i don't see that changing i i just no. i kind of think at the center of our business is there's this kind of we care we care about our staff care about the local community and we care about the planet and that's just what we are and that's that's it and i think that's i mean it's great because it's what you did from your gut you didn't do it because it was trendy or you know because it seemed like the thing to do and i think when when it's genuine like that people see that in you too so i'm sure that will stand you in good stead going forward i'm sure and as you grow, it just grows that opportunity to do more, doesn't it? So it's great. Yeah, that's right. I think people like that. There's that authenticity. and Yeah, no, no, that's good. Um, folk often talk about how you have to step outside your comfort zone in order to, you know, to stretch yourself. If you're staying in your comfort zone, you don't grow, they say. You know, you've got to step outside your comfort zone. I think you've already proven that you've done that in a lot of ways. But is there one thing that you look back at that you think, I never, ever would have thought I would be doing that, but you're doing it now and it, it's just second nature to you? Oh, gosh. It's it's kind of all of it. You know, I, I remember when we went to get planning permission for building the distillery, we had a photo of myself and Claire in front of the site and the photo went in the local press and I remember seeing it in the paper and thinking, I've never done this i've got no clue what i'm doing it's i'm imposter i'm imposter i'm a fraud this is ridiculous and i I remember sitting there thinking that like that was most frightening but it felt just overwhelming and too daunting and then when we got through it and we did it it kind of gave me that confidence and now when i look back i think you know i really wish i'd believed that i could do it 
Um, but at the same time, I can't believe that I did do it. <laughs> you know, it's just that's a good one, isn't it? And, uh-huh. and when 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 it, it's kind of you know when we started up, um, I had to learn how to do the account side of things, and you don't expect to have to do it. You know, when you're starting yeah. a business, it's all about the product. It's glamorous. It's fun. You taste the gin. It's great. This kind of thing, and then you've got to do a VAT return, and it's like, oh my god, it's like this is so tough, and. I didn't expect to do this and eventually like now when I'm in conversations with our in-house accounts I know this and know that and I think I think how how did that happen how do I now know how to work QuickBooks how do I now know how to do these things and understand the the VAT rules and things I, I just didn't expect to be in the kind of that realm it's funny isn't it how what all you do pick up and and I think we're always all yeah. learning and I had a note on the wall for ages in here about what EBITDA stood for because I could not get that into my head. And, you know, just different things. And because I sit on other people's boards and things, you see how other people go through their spreadsheets and things. And it's amazing what you pick up and learn and and how much much you can get from that too. But, I mean, maths would have been at the bottom of my list of things that I enjoyed <laughs> ever wanted to do you know could have ever under and it's funny because I did a food degree and you think oh that's great I'm going to do food and I'm going to mm-hmm. just do the subjects that I enjoy and it'll all be like that you know and of course I mean I did food textile social work management so I did quite a lot but I can remember first year saying why am I doing physics do you know like where <laughs> did that come from I never thought I was going to have to do that but I mean, it is great because it, it is that understanding of how things work and how it all fits together. And your engineering background too, yeah. I mean, will have been hugely useful to you in working out even just layouts and things. Just the, the logic of all of that is a lot yeah. easier. There's, there's a lot of it that just transfers over and you don't realise it. It's only when you sit down and think about it, oh, that's kind of like what we did offshore and we just do it smaller Yep. Definitely, and I kind of when you when you said earlier about it being different, I, I always say to people it's just small equipment, and we can drink the product. Yeah. <laughs> and you're not in the middle of the sea having to do it. Yeah, you're not in the middle that. of the sea. Yeah, that's right. Um, what would you say you've learned about yourself that you wish you knew earlier? Is there some you know? Is it now when you look back, do you think oh, I I know I I like being involved at the beginning but I don't like maintaining it or I like you know you know is are there things like that that you think I, I should have known that I was that kind of person but I hadn't really worked that out or I, I you know when I look back and I talk about the time where we didn't think we could do it and it seemed too challenging it's kind of strange I look back at the way I went through education and university and all the other things that we'd kind of achieved, but I still didn't have any confidence in myself. I didn't believe we could do things. And it was that way where now, looking back, I wish that we just had that belief. I wish that, yep. I, you know, I wish I could have written down all the reasons that I didn't think I could do it. Because I never, ever had reasons why I didn't think I could do it. I just thought, I can't do it. And that was it. It was like a mental block. Uh-huh. But now... I would write down the reasons and I think I'd be able to kind of say, well, that's not true, that's not true, that's not true and would have the confidence to do it. And like, when we built this building here, it's a very, it was a small project, but it still seemed quite daunting. But we've just bought a 200-year-old mill and if you'd asked me, if you'd asked me seven years ago, or said seven years ago that you're going to build a distillery here and then you're going to convert a 200-year-old mill, 
I would be like, no way, get out of here. 200 year mile, there's no roof on it for a start. And like, how are we going to do that? Yeah. But folk are so pleased, aren't they? I've read the coverage about that. Oh, folk yeah. are so pleased that you've, you're saving that building too. And a building yep. that folk have driven past and worried about because they've seen it decaying and everything. So it's great. So, yeah. It, it, it's that thing there. I've got the confidence to do it. But again, it kind of comes back to that integration with the local community where that building isn't really, you know, if you're doing it purely on numbers or as a business decision, you say, you know, we just knock it down and build a new one. But I can't see 200 years worth of history or heritage just no. vanish. So there's a value to that for me. So I then have to then factor that value into my calculation. And I say it is absolutely worth restoring because nobody else will and it will just end up flattened as a pile of rubble and you've lost uh there's only one of two mills that are like that in scotland so yep. you we could have lost that so to me what was made um, in it originally what was the product it was a corn mill so right. um it was set up by the trails to support the stone industry the flagstone industry along the road and it's got so much interesting history and it's such a beautiful building and what you i don't know if you can see it in the things we've shared but it looks over the beach, so our current distillery is at one end of the beach and this, this new distillery at, at the other end. And you can walk along the beach between the two. Um, it's about three kilometres. So I loved it. And, you know, again, that kind of decision comes back. It's like, you know, can we make this work? Can we actually save this and make it a part of our business? And we can. So That's fantastic, we're isn't it? Give it's it our best shot. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and it's great now to think that we have the confidence to go and do it, whereas... We were building a significantly smaller building and didn't think we could do it. And now, yeah, we, we do. So I just wish we'd believed. Yeah. And and so it's what you've learned about yourselves as well in that. In that. Yeah. And it's great. As you see, when other folk come and look, they can see. But because you're right in the thick of it, you don't always see how much you're growing as a result of what you're doing. If somebody else said to you they were going to start a business like yours, what would you say they need to do early on. Oh, I asked somebody else this a couple of weeks ago and they said, don't do it. <laughs> but yeah, I no, know, I, don't think, right, I yeah. don't think it's that. But, you know, is there stuff that you think we should maybe have done that sooner than we did? Or We were really good at taking our time and getting the product right. So we had the luxury of time because we were waiting for building to be built. So... Uh, when we were designing our bottles with um, a company called Pocket Rocket, we printed them all off on A3 bits of paper and we had a washing line in our kitchen and we hung up our top 10. And then every day we'd take one down that didn't get in the top 10 and occasionally we'd put one back up. And then after, I can't remember, a couple of months, we realised that there was one bottle that was always on the line and it was the bottle that we use today. Isn't and, that fantastic? You know, that, and it's so different from any other gin bottle that it, it yeah. must have been, I mean, now it's great because it's so different, but it must have been quite daunting to choose that because it was so different, you know. So we did market, they gave us reviews of the uh, the bottle that we picked and they all came back and said, you can't use it. You're supposed to use a coloured glass bottle, Bombay's blue. So we got that feedback and then we went out to consumers and they said the same thing. So then we were at home and I said, you know, we, we've got a choice to make. We either go with our gut and if it totally fails, then at least we've done something we 100% believe in or we take their advice and if it doesn't work, we'll kick ourselves because we always believed it was going to be the ceramic bottle, the white ceramic bottle. So 
made a hard decision and we said we're going to stick with this bottle because we believe it and if the business fails then you know it we take full responsibility. It's our choice. We, we made it knowing that we had feedback. That, yeah. And then when it went out, everybody loved it because they got to see it in their flesh, got to feel it, got yeah. to see and the print. they understood Absolutely it. Absolutely loved it. It is a, it's a lovely tactile thing and I think it's great yeah. the way it has been converted into, obviously, sanitizer dispensers and things, but just all the other things that people do with, with bottles when they want to keep them is such a nice thing, isn't it? So... It's great to see all of that and your refills and, you know, you'd never have had that if you'd had a blue bottle. No, that's right. And I think that, you know, it, like you say, it does stand out on the shelf. And because it was so different, I think that's what made it work for us. I think, you know, when people weren't used to seeing a gin bottle like that, it maybe was, it doesn't fit. But now, because they're used to seeing it on the shelf, it does fit and they know it's us. You can identify yeah. it. Um, quite far away that it's our bottle on the shelf and then so when you do a special edition or something and the label changes they still know it's definitely your product yeah yeah that's right mm. so yeah i think if i would go to but make sure you get your product and your pricing right so what we did early doors is we worked with our route to market so at every step we checked the value chain and asked them what it needed to be to work so we knew their expectations and then we looked at it and said it doesn't work for us because <laughs> We have to sell a lot of gin to make that margins work for us. Um, so then I th- kind of reframed this and, OK, what do we need to sell to make it work for us? So then we thought, right, OK, I can stay offshore and we can build up the sales. And once we get to that, I can leave and everybody's going to be happy. No one's going to complain about pricing. No. So that was our strategy. And that's what we did. And when the sales took off, we've never changed the price. Nobody's complained. It just meant you could come offshore faster, back up. Yeah, and it, it, what, it, what it did mean was that, you know, when you've got so much to do in business, the last thing you do, do, need to do is be having kind of a lot of, like, hassle or stress over pricing. So our pricing has been fixed, transparent, and worked from day one. And it's just... And that's made it a lot easier for you to concentrate. It makes it so else. much easier, yeah. Because if you're starting out in business, the last thing you... You, you want to be doing is getting phone calls saying oh down the road's getting the bottle of gin for 50p less than me and or you know your pricing doesn't stack up your wholesalers moaning and if nobody's moaning then you can get on with what you're kind of good at doing yeah. and they're happy so they want to sell more of your product because the margins are the margins that they said would work and it, it did it just made our life so much easier for that early years that you weren't having conversations over pricing we just dug our heels in we know that it works the pricing works because we've done our uh, background with distribution with retailers with bars and Brilliant. yeah it works and if so yeah, that's, that's the thing so get easier. that right and stand by it now i'm going to ask you one yeah. last question three words that you think sum you up they don't need to join together they can just be three different things i, I think i'd probably say that i'm quite fun so and all this kind of crazy business that we run there's always lighter moments where we do enjoy ourselves, so I'd say Good. fun. I think it's hard work in class is one word. <laughs> it's hard working as well where I'll go the extra, uh, you know, I, I'll, I'll come in early if we need to get ahead. I'll, I'll kind of put myself out a wee bit, but I definitely want to set an example and show the team that like I don't expect them um, to work hard if I'm not prepared to no. do it. So I, I do believe that. I can kind of set an example, quietly set an example. Uh, so fun, hardworking and grounded. I'm really grounded and accessible and 
I've not changed. I'm just nope. the same as what I was when I was 15. Great, isn't it? And you've, uh-huh, and you've built the business to facilitate that too, which is fantastic. Mm-hmm. I do envy you your summer walks across the beach, but I'm not sure that I envy you in the winter. <laughs> I know that, well, the winter walks aren't that much fun. I, no, I don't do them as sure. much as what I should, but yeah. the summer is, you know, it's one of those things where um, I, I kind of used to do spreadsheets where I put values on things in life because like I was always offshore and I was trying to justify leaving the offshore environment and then like comparing like the benefits. So now I put a, a, a value on my walk to work because I think it's a brilliant, it makes me feel good and I love it. So you, you probably wouldn't do that normally, but I, would no, no. I normally would just say, right, okay, that walk to work is worth £100 to me because... I would pay £100 to do that walk. Yeah, absolutely. Sure. <laughs> well, hopefully in the so, next couple of months, things will open up and you'll get all your tourists back and they'll be able to benefit from all of that too. Yeah, it's we're really fortunate where people are now travelling to our region for the North Coast 500, for yes. the Castle of May and uh, to, to go, go to Orkney. So we're really lucky where we've got um, tourists coming to see us and, yeah, and, and I, th- I think a lot of folk will choose to stay in the UK this year too. So I think this year you should get a lot more local tourists too. And Yeah, if, if last year's anything to go by, I would expect so. And yeah. um, last year was great. People really had a great time up here and yeah, we enjoyed um, showing people around what we do. Good, good stuff. Well, thank you very much for talking to me too. I appreciate that. Fantastic. Thank you for listening to Let Me Introduce You, the Food Business Podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe in Apple Podcasts or wherever you pick up your podcasts and make sure you don't miss an episode. Please leave a comment to let me know what you enjoyed or connect to me at Jane Milton Food on Instagram or at Food Networking on Twitter. And if you found this helpful, we'd love you to tell other food businesses about it too. See you next time.